Welcome to the Side Hustle and Business Show with Eric Lindsay. Here at Moonlight, you will learn how to successfully operate side hustles and also businesses while having W-2 income or very minimal amounts of time. You will also receive advice from experts and gain actionable and up-to-date strategies to help you generate income immediately and even help you attain long-term wealth. Here at the Side Hustle and Business Show, we choose to focus on financial security and not job security. Today, we are here with Shannon Robnett. Shannon is a real estate developer and syndicator with a principal focus on multifamily and industrial real estate in a greater Boise area. His accomplishments include investing within the Boise real estate market for 35 plus years. He is a second generation builder and also developer. He is also a fourth generation realtor as well as has been involved in over $250 million in construction projects ranging from multifamily, office buildings, municipal buildings, schools, industrial projects, and mini storage. Without further ado, welcome to the show, Shannon. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. All right, great. Yeah, so I'm looking to unpack some of that history and that vast knowledge that you have there. And so with that being said, if you could share just a little bit more about yourself and also how you got started in real estate, that'd be great. Well, you know, my intention was not to get in start get started in real estate. My family uh, was a real estate family. My, my mother is a third generation real estate broker. Uh, my son is a fifth. Uh, my my father was a developer and a builder, and I didn't think that's where I wanted to go. I thought I wanted to go to college. I wanted to get into you know IT tech of some sort, and I was sitting there working uh, at a coffee shop to pay my uh, my my insurance on my car, and my brother's making forty five thousand bucks a year building a couple of houses here and doing some things like that. And I just thought, you know, this is back in ninety five. Forty five grand was a lot of money, mm-hmm. and I just thought, man, this is nuts to sit here and go to college for the next three and a half years to do this. And so I started in in not necessarily in the family business because there wasn't a business to be part of, uh, but I started building houses and I quickly learned that I didn't like homeowners. Uh, so I got into the commercial space and I built a commercial construction company uh, with over 45 employees. And we were uh, we were doing a lot. And I just started to see how when I did a building and I finished the building, for my client, my paycheck stopped, but the client's paycheck kept going and going and going as long as the rent kept coming in. And so in 2001, I built my first industrial building for myself. Uh, what is it? Uh, 21 years later, I still have two of the original tenants still in the building. In fact, one of the tenants, the business itself has sold three times, but they make gelato ice cream in a 2000 square foot facility with an 18 foot wide uh, walk-in freezer. That's not something you're just going to move. And so they've continued. They've literally sat there and paid for that building while I have, uh, you know, worked at figuring out how to get out of working for other people. We started building multifamily. We started doing a lot more industrial. And over the years, we've just built a reputation of being able to develop and deliver. And then we've uh, we've continued to do that with partners and and with LP capital and things like that. So that's kind of the short version of how I got to where I'm at today. That's pretty interesting to not go to college and to go into the workforce building and establishing a general contracting business and kind of making your own way without having to be employed by another person there. Was there any challenges that you ran across and would you recommend that for 
young people as of today? I'm kind of the guy that if you cock a gun and put it to my head, I'll find the solution. Um, and so for me, it was always a challenge, right? I mean, there was financial challenges along the way all over the place. And there was a lot of times when, you know, the money just wasn't there and you were just forging ahead on nothing but sheer willpower. Uh, but, you know, I, I hear a lot of people want to do, you know, real estate as a side hustle and it's a great side hustle. It's also a great primary business. And I think people just need to figure out, are you going to do this as a side hustle or are you going to save up uh, during your primary work and get yourself a two or three or four month nest egg and then just go full time? And it really depends on the person. But I'm the kind of guy that if I have to find the solution, I will. If I have time to find the solution, I'll find it on the last day, right? So That's great. That's great. Yeah, and it's really popular to be an entrepreneur at this point. And it's a lot of people jumping into the space and is gaining a lot of traction, but there's a lot of hard work. And there's also some downsides that comes from not having that dependable check, but it also has a higher ceiling than working for an employer. So you start a general contracting company and between development and actually owning something that already exists, which one has the better pros and which one has the better cons? Well, you know, a lot of people think they want to buy cash flowing real estate. And that makes sense if you're looking for that. But the real the reality is if you're buying a cash flowing property, you're buying someone else's value add. They bought it, they added value, they're now selling to you. You're going to buy it. You're going to hope to add value. And how many times has that been done in the past? But when you take a raw piece of dirt and you create the original value add, uh, and I can give you some examples later, but you create more value up front than you'll ever, ever, most likely ever come up with in a value add property where you're taking somebody else's asset, managing it better, lowering expenses, renovating, you know, getting the getting the rents up, uh, going into the cap rate compression that we saw over the last couple of years. You know, those kinds of things are an anomaly. But if you want to look at how you're going to do it year after year, time after time, um, development is a great space. The other thing that when you're doing development, you're typically in A-class properties, right? You're building new stuff. When you look at what's happening in the market today, the C's and the D's are starting to creep up on their um, uh, their collections, right? They're having more trouble because those people are really struggling to keep up with the rent increases. They're also paying over 35% of their income for their rent. You step up into the A-class apartments and those people statistically pay less than 27% of their rent. So you're dealing with a different class of tenant uh, that is less likely to go to collections, less likely to have issues. You've got a brand new building. Your expenses are very low uh, and it's a very easy asset class to manage. So is development in class A, is that the most focus that you're putting your attention towards within your investment at this point? Currently, we don't have we don't work for other people anymore. We kind of phased out of that over the last 24 months. We've just got enough stuff going on our own that we didn't need that. So we were able to just kind of step away from that and uh, be able to create what we need uh, as far as workflow just through our own efforts. Okay, great, great. Yeah, so I've heard the difference between the A class and the B class and the C class as far as collections and how you're going to have much more trouble with the C class being able to keep up with being able to make their payments. A-class, it definitely does have its perks, but 
What I'm seeing is the cap rates, it's not leaving a lot of room for you to be able to make a really good cash flow. What is a, a good way to kind of augment that difference between the B and C class properties and capitalize on the consistency of the A class properties? Well, again, you're talking about buying somebody else's value add. They went through the whole four-year development process, right? They started out with a ground-up development. They wound up with a finished product. Of course, they're going to sell that at top dollar. But the other side of it is, I think syndicators have gotten very short-sighted on their on the terms that they should be looking to hold. Most of the people that are buying brand new, large-scale A-class properties are those that are REITs. They're looking for a 10 to 20-year investment window. They want to buy it one time. They want to they want to put debt on it one time. They don't want to do bridge financing. They don't want to do any of this other stuff that expires. They want to put 30-year money on it, and they want to set it in their portfolio and crank the rents 3 to 6% a year. And when you've done that for 20 years, uh, you've made quite a pile of money. And that's that's what most institutional size investors do. They're not looking for this two to four year window that everybody's gotten accustomed to because they could flip it and meet their 10 year projections. But most of the REITs weren't selling assets during that time frame either. So how are our operators like yourself coming in and developing these A-class properties? What is your model? What is your strategy within that business model? Well, the first thing that I look at is I look at a market, right? I'm not necessarily hung up on a deal until I, I, I won't look at a deal until I understand a market, right? Because you can fall in love with a deal, right? And if you build a great deal in a bad market and recession happens or, or economic change happens to that market through many different things that can happen, um, you're stuck in a market that may or may not need your product, that may or not, may or may not have the per capita income that's necessary to sustain your product. There could be a lot of reasons why you could wind up in trouble. So I never even look at a deal unless I know the market. Once I've understood the market and I see that this is a market I want to be in, a market like Phoenix or a market like uh, Charlotte, North Carolina or Raleigh, uh, you know, Dallas, Texas, those markets are fairly recession-proof. Now, nothing is totally recession-proof, but when you look at what they do, they have a strong inflow of people They've got great infrastructure. They've got good schools. They've got opportunities available. And their median income is high enough that they can afford the, to pay the rents that are associated with new, par, new apartment prices. So once I've identified that, then I start looking at where I want to build that apartment complex out and then chase that down from there. Yeah, looking at the market is definitely going to be the best way and the best strategy, especially in this inflationary period that we're in, because if everything else goes out the window. You want to be in a strong market and you described and spelled out some really strong markets. Yeah. yeah. So if a person was new and wanted to break into that development space, what would be a great strategy for them to be able to do so? You know, I think a great strategy is go to work for a developer. Okay. You know, I mean, look, if you're going to, if you're going to go to learn on the job, you might as well get paid for it. So maybe you start out at the front desk and work your way through the company. But if you've got the drive and you've got the determination and you're always available to do extra things, work on Saturdays, take on special projects, you will get noticed and then you'll get attention and you'll get knowledge. And if you can do that, why not do that for five years and put yourself 10 years ahead of the game because you learn from a professional that's already doing it on a large scale and is doing what you want to do? Yeah, that's 
some really sage advice to go and work for someone that's already successful at it. And you can get inside the machine and see exactly what it looks like firsthand instead of trial and error and potentially losing a lot of cash in the process. So exactly. Yeah. Great insight on that. Hey, if we could go a little bit further into the show, we've got a portion of the show that I like to call our Moonlight Coaching Round, and I love to have guests like you that have tons of experience to share some insight regarding a few questions that I'd like to ask you. If you could just hold your response to between one and two minutes per question. Sounds good. What is something that you wish you would have known before you started investing within real estate? Uh, You know, one of the... well, you know, I grew up in a in a house that was always investing in real estate. So I, I I had a lot of the knowledge, but one of the things that everybody understands is that it's a lot harder up front, but the more you repeat the same process, the easier it gets. And it is a long game, right? So most millionaires aren't created till after they're 50. Why does everybody think that just because they're involved in real estate, they can do that in a couple of years, right? So I think that that's that's the thing. It's a longer game than you think, but it will make you wealthier than you imagine. I agree with you. In the world of Facebook and this social media age, everyone is just posting random things. They did one, two transactions. They're a millionaire within 18 months of starting real estate, which is very rare. And typically most people aren't having that trajectory within their career like that. So yeah, that's great advice. The next question is, if a person decided that they wanted to get into the syndication world, what do you think would be a reasonable time for them to be able to do their first deal? Just kind of considering the current market that we're in here in June of 2023. Well, you know, I don't think anybody should get into the market to do their first deal on their own, personally. There's too much to learn. I mean, you can go to all these mentorship classes, and I I don't say that they're bad, but you learn the fundamentals. That's great. But how do you know how to handle real-life situations? We're watching syndicators all over the place right now panicking because their interest rates are going up and they don't know how to deal with it. They've never really understood what a forward projection chart looks like for them on their financials. And they never saw what was coming to them where they was going to run out of cash because they were going to be eaten up by their interest reserves, right? So when I look at that, I always encourage people to be an LP first so you know what that experience is like. Then see if you can't join a GP team because you're bringing value of some sort and bug the heck out of the lead sponsor until you get the information you need because the reality is it all sounds like fun and games until you lose somebody else's money, right? And we're seeing that happen right now because people were careless. People thought, well, this is really easy. And it is in a great market like we had in 21, but it doesn't mean it's always going to be like that. And that's proving to be the case in 23. So I would encourage everybody to start slow and don't expect to know it in less than 24 months. That's a great answer to come in as an LP, be able to sit in on meetings and hear exactly how seasoned professionals are being able to get things to work within this really turbulent economy that we're in and then just learning on the job, so to speak. Great answer on that one as well. This is more of a personal question and to hear and talk with a person of your stature and who has the success that you have, 
Well, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to take care of yourself, right? You've got to take care of your mental health. You've got to take care of, uh, you know, your mental growth. You've got to continue to learn. Um, so, you know, and one of the things that I do is I, I, I do make sure that I get to the gym regularly. I make sure that I take time for myself. But the other thing that I like to do is I like to combine things that I love to do and turn them into businesses. So one of the things I've always loved to do, and I've been a pilot for 25 years, is I love flying, right? So I've created a flight school. It's a great tax strategy uh, with 100% bonus depreciation on aircraft for year one. You know, that's what it was last year. Uh, so you've got a lot of write-offs, but you're also doing what you love to do. So find what you're passionate about outside of work, create a business, create an opportunity, and grow that as well. Then you will be driven by your passion and you make money at it. Great idea there to be able to get some pleasure out of a business that's actually growing and thriving because you do need some time to recharge and instead of just going full bore into the business 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So yeah, great insight on that one. If a person had a very limited amount of time because of W-2 income or another business that they were a part of, what could they do to start a successful business like yours? Well, I don't know that. You, I mean, we'll, we'll probably do $60 million worth of construction this year. So I don't know that that's something you can start part time. But the reality is, if you have a very limited amount of time, you're going to want to figure out how to leverage your time, right? So what can you do to put in a couple of hours with a couple of other people that between the three or four or five of you, you're able to get in a 40 hour work week? right? And that's where partnerships work really well. If you've got five hours and Sam's got five hours and I've got five hours, we can each work on our own projects. But five hours on a project is going to take forever to get it done. 15 hours a week on a project is a different story and we may be able to get it accomplished in a timely manner. So that's really where I see things are uh, able to happen, especially the multifamily space where people love to work together love to collaborate. So if you're if you're short on time, find a couple of people that you can partner with, each take a different section of the deal, chop it up and get it done that way. Moonlighters, that's phenomenal insight that Shannon is providing us with. He's leveraging other people's time and sometimes you can work with other people and collaborate to get things done. And that's what multifamily uses quite a bit as they operate through the syndication model there. So yeah, great insight on that, Shannon. Last question is, what is the best way for an active GP to connect with limited partners to invest within their syndications? You know, I found that um, uh, being a giver is the best way. I mean, look, I, I put out a fair amount of content uh, that's all about teaching. I don't teach masterminds. I'm not a I'm not there to educate. I'm there to uh, or I'm not there to, to collect money for education. So I put out a lot of content. I get a lot of people asking a lot of questions and a lot of them have nothing to do with what I'm doing, but I'm always finding a way to connect with people through social media, through uh, local meetups, through conferences, where we're able to connect one-on-one -on -one and build that relationship. Most people like to go straight to the 506C. They don't have to know the guy. They think they're going to throw out an Instagram ad. They're going to have millions of dollars come running in. doesn't really work that way. It also doesn't work that way if your project ever gets in trouble and you don't have a relationship with your investors. So I really work hard at not growing fast, but growing depth. I just, uh, I had a lady call yesterday, uh, wants to get into one of my deals. I didn't know who she was. I told her we had to talk on the phone because I wanted to know what she was about, where 
she came from a relationship where the other person trusts me emphatically, right? And mm-hmm. so when you build that depth in those relationships, it may be a slow go at first, but the roots will go deep and you will get all of that person and you will get a lot of their contacts as well, which will really start to expand your network in the second, third, fourth, and fifth year. And that's not a strategy and a lot that gets spoken about within these podcasts. You don't really hear about people really promoting building relationships with your passive investors is almost a churn and burn model. Get as many LPs as humanly possible and don't be too concerned about getting in depth within the relationships. But sometimes that could come back to bite you with SEC, not really having an established relationship with a person and using your model there, it could keep you out of some trouble for a long time to come and it'll take you much further down the line. So, hey, terrific answers on those questions, Shannon. We definitely appreciate that. Each one of those answers that you provided. We always like to have our guests share a personal development book or either a business book that you would highly recommend for the Moonlight listeners. Do you have one that you would highly recommend? One of the books that I like the best is uh, the book by Chris Voss, Never Split Split the Difference. You know, I love how he brings in FBI stories because, come on, all of us wanted to be an FBI agent at some point, right? We played that with the little stick guns and all that stuff as kids. But he also then brings that into business and really helps you understand and explain how business really gets done and the psychology behind business. And in my in my profession, I think it's more important to know your audience and know what's going on with them. Uh, and know who you're talking to and know how to interact with them in a professional manner that then allows you to move them toward the result they need based on understanding. So that's that's a great one that I, I've, I've read several times. Moonlighters, Shannon is doubling down on this, building the relationships and establishing rapport with those that you're working together with. And on the syndication front, that is going to be pivotal for you to have these ongoing relationships with the people that you're investing with. So never split the difference. I've read that. It is a great book and great recommendation, Shannon. Is there any way that some of the Moonlight listeners may be able to reach out to you and connect if someone wanted to connect with you? You know, the easiest way to do that is just go to my website at shannonrobnet.com. If you go there, you can see the projects. We have cameras on our job sites. We've got uh, some of our past projects. You can even see my book list uh, of books that I recommend people read. And then lastly, you can connect with me right there. There's a link to my calendar. We can get on a 15-minute phone call, see if there's a way that we can collaborate. Thanks for tuning in to the Side Hustle and Business Show with Eric Lindsay. Please make sure to give us a five-star review, subscribe to this channel, and share this podcast with someone who is destined for success. Until next time, let's keep pursuing financial security, not job security.